Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how the world's most fascinating people have hustled their way to the top. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit, noter of Powder Mountain Ski Resort in Utah. In today's episode, I have the pleasure to sit down with the mastermind behind the infamous shaving subscription, Dollar Shave Club. Good friend of mine, amazing guy, Michael Dubin. Michael is a creative and marketing genius with a one-of-a-kind sense of humor. He's the founder of one of the largest and most successful subscription services in America, Dollar Shave Club. DSC debuted eight years ago in a hilarious viral YouTube video. And many of you who are familiar with the DSC story know that this was a huge driver of the company's early success, now at something like 4 million members worldwide. We're going to get into that and much more. Please help me welcome to the studio, Michael Dubin. Yeah. I mean, it's so great to be here. Why don't we just kick it off? Let's do it. Uh, So you host shark tank and own the dallas mavericks yep how's that what's that all about oh it's just it's really it's really great do you often get confused with mark cuban or is that just a joke that we thought was funny that has not happened that's not who i've gotten confused with i usually get confused with the bad guy in ghost uh or um uh the guy from 72 and sunny sorry that's an agency uh so always which one which guy the handsome guy. The uh, guy who's kind of like well, definitely the handsome guy. But yeah. um, I, I think his name is maybe Dennis. I don't watch the show. Oh. I didn't watch the show. I think the guy's now on AP Bio. You're not him. No, I'm not Or Mark him. Cuban. No. You're Michael Dubin. That's me. And uh, you're an incredible guy. And, you know, uh, I've really on. enjoyed, you know, becoming your friend. I, I, you're my friend. I don't know if I'm really, you know, I hope I'm your friend. I think we are. Okay. I great. think we are. Yeah. And uh, I learned a lot from you and uh, have for a long time. And I'm really excited that you joined us on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. And I think, uh, you know, DSC Dollar Shave Club is like one of these generational examples of, you know, uh, it's, it's just an incredible ride. It's been really fun to watch your growth. And, you know, I know that uh, you started it to 2012, correct? 2011. 2011. Yeah. Amazing. And were you here in LA? I was. Awesome. Yeah. And you went to Emory. I did. And uh, this was your first startup. This was my second startup. Second startup. What first was your one first one was a social network for travelers, uh, which I launched in 2006 that didn't really go anywhere. Okay. It didn't travel very far, Yeah, as it were. 
Sure. Do you even have a, like a, a uproarious laughter button? Yeah, no, we can, they can probably add that in post, <laughs> the laughter button. With Dollar Shave Club, I know you started it with Mark Levine, and I know that uh, you know, there were some other great people that were part of that story. For, for you guys, you know, I, and, and I love their original marketing, stop paying for shave tech you don't need. Mm. Very simple to the point. Yep. Um, but what was the, was there a personal eureka moment? Was there a use case where you were like, there's got to be a better way? Um, you know, there, there was, yes, but it had happened years earlier. So in, when I was living in New York city, uh, I would, I, I worked at Rockefeller center. Um, what were you doing? I was a page at NBC and then I was, um, part of their news business, uh, for a little bit at MSNBC. Um, and, uh, and then I was at, and then I was at Time Inc for a while. I was at, uh, the relaunch of life magazine and life.com and then sports illustrated, sportsillustrated.com. Um, and you know, to get to the subway, um, you, you'd have to walk right by the drugstore. Mm-hmm. It's Dwayne Reed. And, and, you know, razors are one of those purchases that guys run out of. And, and it's very frustrating to get um, in the store. You have to find the Razor Fortress. It's always locked. There's, we, we had a lot of fun with the concept of the Razor Fortress in some of our commercials, which are on YouTube. Yes, you yes. know, guys getting tased. At that's the, YouTube.com. That's, that's Y-O-U, <laughs> T-U. Um, so ultimately, I just didn't want to walk in to get the razors because it was a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this, it's just dumb. I'll milk my old blade a little while longer and I'll deal with it another time when I don't have to be somewhere or want to get home. And I, you know, I didn't say, you know, I didn't say at that exact moment, I'm going to start a business around this. Uh, but then when I met Mark at a cocktail party, uh, in 2009, many years later when I was living in LA, um, you know, that's when the, that's when you know, he had, he was a, he was an importer and he had a lot of imported goods that he brought to his warehouse and razors just happened to be one of them. And I said, you know, I'll take some of those razors and why don't we try this thing, which was Dollar Shave Club. Um, so we launched a beta site in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and ran that until March, 2012, which is when we launched the video that ultimately went viral and put us on the map. Amazing. And when you raised your initial capital to really fund that, was that before the video or right after the video? We raised one hundred thousand dollars in January of two thousand twelve yeah. um, from an incubator here in in LA called Science, yeah. um, uh, and then we uh, and then we raised a million dollar seed round in March of twenty twelve. Awesome, yeah. And I mean, you ended up having many of like the marquee Kleiner Perkins and Dreesen Horowitz, like the you know the the gatekeepers, all said yes and back to you. And th- as you said, this was your second company right out the gate. Was th- was the video a huge driver? Or was you you personally like how did you how did you do that? Well, I, the video, we shot the video in October of 2011 as part of what we knew was going to be a relaunch of the business in 2012. And that was before we had raised any money. So we had the video done before we launched the business mm-hmm. and, uh, or before we relaunched the business. And so, yeah, we definitely use that as a fundraising asset to tell the story of what we were trying to do. Awesome. I know we're going to get into a lot of the, you know, what, what's happening today, but I'm really, you know, I love sort of getting into a bit of the origin story and all that stuff. You were, you were at the time, uh, doing improv, correct? No. Or before? Uh, I, I, common misconception. I, I was studying improv at night. Studying improv. Yeah. I don't so mean I, like full time. I just meant as a. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it was a hobby. Studying sure. improv is doing improv. No. Uh, it, it, yes. Were you reading it, a book on improv? Or were you going to improv? Both. Um, okay. Wow. Okay. Both, all that. of it. I mean, it is a fascinating discipline, um, and, and helpful to, I think a lot of different, um, yeah, other things that you can do, including business. But no, I think that, you know, some people come to me and be like, oh man, weren't you, uh, weren't you a comedian before you did DSC? And it's like, no, I, 
was grinding it out in New York City as a as a business person uh, in different careers yeah. um, for 10 years before I did DSC or 15 years before I did DSC. Well, and the reason I bring it up is I remember um, I one of, the, one of our early conversations, I was like nerding out on CAC LTV, direct consumer, oh, yeah, like online bif- Ooh, businesses. Yeah, yeah you know, all the, all the sexy, all the sexy, sure, you know, sure, three letter on. acronyms. Mm. Um, but, uh, but I remember I was like, man, this is incredible. You can like, you know, set this up and then you know you press play to ever look back and i was like asking you about that and you're like dude it's about an emotional connection with your consumer mm-hmm. it's like you know all that other stuff performance marketing there's plenty of talented people but you know building an emotional connection with the consumer is everything which was a big light bulb moment for me then looking back on that original video yeah that's why i asked you about the improv uh right? yeah i mean look i i think that you know building a brand that is going to transcend the noise um, requires doing something unique and, and, you know, evokes some sort of visceral reaction from the audience. That can be laughter, it can be something sweeter. Um, you know, we chose humor as our device. Um, that's, you know, part of who I am. It's part of uh, the, the brands that I love out there em- employ humor in a, in a really strategic, smart way, and I love that. Um, but that's, you gotta, you gotta fi- every brand can find its own way of breaking through. Uh, we chose ours. Yeah. And and you, I, you, I know you to enjoy your private time as much as your you know public time. How did you choose to be the face of it? Like, was that something yeah. that you thought about beforehand, or no? I actually, for a long period of time, didn't want. So I, the reason I put myself in the commercial because I was like, who better to tell this story than me? And also, um, you know, I I had the skills to do it and. Uh, I just did it, right? I, I, I don't know that it was more strategically thought out than that. I was the CEO of the startup, and I thought the consumer ought to hear directly from me. But I didn't want to put it on the homepage originally because I didn't want people to have an adverse reaction to me as a spokesperson. Um, and, and I was pushed by my early investors to, to do that, to put, to put the video on the homepage Amazing. and sort of become more of a forward-facing you know, type CEO. Yeah. And so that, that happened. Uh, and then we kind of ran with that for a little while. Um, and you know, it's not, it wasn't my first choice. Um, it, uh, it was just, it's just something that kind of happened. And then we just kind of kept doing it because it was working, but I never thought of myself as like, you know, there are other kind of companies that really lean into a spokesman style, uh, presentation mm-hmm. of the brand. Sure. And I don't like to think of that as us. Um, I think, you know, I, I appeared in some of the early commercials with, you know, a speaking role and then, you know, every now and then I would jump in front of the camera and do a, a, do a cameo of some kind, but you know, I don't, I don't like to think of ourselves, you know, myself as Colonel Sanders. And, and nor do I think that's the, the modern perception of the brand. You know, yeah. T- DSC has evolved, uh, you know, from these, these origins to a pretty incredible, diverse, still hysterical brand. Right. You know, still thinking about those those sort of early days, that first phase of uh, of exponential growth for the org. You know, once once this became successful, you raised the money. You were you were selling the shit out of some razors, I imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, what were what were some of the lessons learned? Like when you think back, you're like, man, that was a really valuable. You know, what what surprised you at that moment, or what were some of the things there where you really learned something that might be a principle of yours today? Well, gosh. I think there's 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 a lot there's a lot that you learn from your success there's a lot that you learn from the failures and um you know I don't know I I don't know what the most specific I don't know what the 
I'd have to think about, you know, how those early days have shaped the guiding principles. I mean, I think that one of them might be when something's working, double down on it um, and clear a path for yourself um, and own your thing and lean into it. Don't be shy. And I think we did that to a large degree. We really nailed the concept right out of the gate. Um, it was working and we turned up the volume on it. We, we, we sort of took over the, the, um, the early influencer marketplace, which was really just a lot of radio endorsers at the time. We got on television quickly, mm-hmm. uh, relatively quickly, uh, just to you know, kind of own that, own the conversation around it. Amazing, uh, incredible, and and I think what was the number? It was like you guys had by when you did when you ended up selling uh, the company, you already had a pretty tremendous market share, correct? Like at, as far as online was concerned, it was like half of the online marketplace or something along those lines. Yeah, I don't remember what, at the time of the acquisition what it was. I think just in general. Um, in general, yeah, it was it in terms of uh, market share volume, it was north of twenty percent. And is it still is the marketplace just still expanding at an incredibly rapid rate? Like how and and you know you guys are obviously a membership, and it's not just razors now. It's it's blades, shave creams, wipes, oral care, skin care, deodorant. Yeah, uh, just try the cologne; it's pretty good. Yeah, but but ultimately. Um, you know, the marketplace has gotten very crowded. You know, it, when you have a great idea and it's working, a lot of people follow you into the game, mm-hmm. big players, small players. Um, so the marketplace is very much evolved. There's a lot of people out there that have that took the playbook and are following the playbook and, and doing their own thing with it. So what DSC differentiates on now is we have, you know, we have over 40 products um, for your, you know, your hair, your face, your body, your skin. Uh, and we want to make it really easy for you to find what it is that you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's sort of the, the mission that we're, that we're on right now. And how many members now? Well, we don't really disclose that anymore because now we're part of a public company. Mm. Um, so we have to kind of be tight-lipped about so that. So millions of people, basically. We, the millions of people, yes. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. It's an amazing. So we had an idea for a product. Oh. Um, we were thinking that, you know, it's, it's not just mine. I don't want to, like, take total ownership. But uh, basically, you know, like, every shower needs a shower caddy but would be really cool as if it had some speakers maybe a fog-free mirror and we were thinking you could have some kind of hydroelectric component attached to the actual nozzle that's cool yeah i thought you you were going to say every shower needs a shower buddy and you would be everybody's shower buddy and 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 volunteer to shower with with our members that doesn't scale i think if our members knew just how handsome you were uh no i'm just saying like that's sign up it's that's one-to-one combat jeff shower yeah, but you can't, how could you, that's, you can't be everywhere at Jeffshower.com. Yes, but I'm, I'm in. Listen. Christina, <laughs> let's buy that URL right now before Jeff, and then we'll sell it back to Jeff here. Great. But, but what about my hydroelectric speakered fog-free shower caddy? That's out. We're not going to do that. Um, I don't know. Like, there, there is this super fun, you know, antiquated notion of the shower radio, yeah. you know, that like, you know, my dad had, mm-hmm. and, you know, which was a bold innovation at the time which was like you could hang out in the shower and you know jam the hits mm-hmm. or listen to the traffic or the weather whatever you like to do in the shower um and you know there was kind of a there was a moment in history when that was when that was you know a really that was a power device are people doing that anymore are you listening to music in the shower right now i'm not a big fan of like just the iphone speaker music situation which yeah. i guess your iphone's waterproof so you could yeah. you know conceivably 
listen to the traffic report right. in the shower. If I had a waterproof speaker situation, I would. Listen, I'm in. If you if you launch it, I'll buy the first. I, I just don't. I don't know that you know. Given what the the the, the heightened consciousness around the environment and water, especially sure. here in California, That's like, do we want people camping out in the shower? No, we don't. Yeah. Next topic. Right. <laughs> so, uh, which Any brings, other bright ideas, Rosenthal? No, um, that was my big idea for yeah. for today. But I'll come back in anytime. Yeah. And pitch. No, please. Yeah. Thank you. Speaking of which, I just want to know. So, like, you know, there's this is it's such a different interview because you're still running this business. Mm-hmm. It's growing. It's becoming so many different things. You you manage to keep it fresh, which is incredible. Like, it's it had a vibe. It had a culture. It had a movement, and it still does, which is pretty rare, especially over like a ten year period. So I want to know how you do that. Like, what, what? How have you institutionalized that? How do you continue to keep yourself sharp? Um, you you find other great people that have fresh ideas and continually invite them into the business. Uh, you know, we. You know, I'm I'm certainly a creative executive and a and a marketer, but you you have to invite new people with different perspective in because you can't. You know, nobody is a uh, an, an endless well of of unique perspective, so to speak, or the right perspective. And I think that there's, so, so that's, that's the short answer is find great people that have a unique bent on what you're doing and, you know, and then give them, give them access uh, to, to the, to the controls. Um, so most recently, but we, we just launched a video for uh, Father's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this really wonderful tribute to body positivity. Um, and there's this really funky song that came out called, uh, dad bod, mm. you know, dad bod's kind of an older term, but this song kind of, you know, br- brought it back and, and we made a great video around it. And this was one of the first, I think the first sort of major piece of creative that I had nothing to do with, um, o- almost nothing to do with. When I say almost, I mean, like I came in after the thing was shot, edited or whatever, and then helped like with a little bit of copy around a title. But the whole thing was sort of conceived of, you know, casted, directed, stylized, edited, and completed without any involvement from me. And yeah. nothing makes you nothing makes you happier and and prouder really than than to have you know the team that you work with go off and do something like that without your involvement. So uh, so so that's a perfect example of it. I yeah, I want to ask you more about that. I have a habit of what my team calls the swoop and poop. So I'll swoop in and I'll make a bunch of suggestions and then fly back out. Mm. And so I try to keep myself from swooping and pooping. Okay. Um, and it sounds like you are at a similar, you know, age of the business. We're 11 years old, um, but not as developed. I mean, but the similar phase where the founders and the early executives are, you know, hand in the reins to a new group of people. How do you deal with that creative conflict? Um, well, yeah, look, I think if you, I think that if you asked the creative team here about that, I'm sure they would tell you that I drive them crazy also. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Um, you know, I've just, you know, it's an area that I'm interested in. It's, uh, and, and it's an area that I'm, that I have experience and, and hopefully some degree of talent. So it's always an area where I, I want to be engaged because those types of communications are, are critical to get right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, look, I'm sure that I, like any other, you know, uh, leader drives those people crazy when yeah. it comes down to those things. So I don't, and, and, you know, but as, as, the, as time goes on, um, you know, you hope to be able to step away, um, and, and let them carry the torch and, and the voice. And I'll, you know, I'll always want to sort of review what, what they're working on, but 
you know, it's, it's, you have to try your best. You have to try your best to let, uh, the creatives play. Yeah. Um, and let the business, let people do their jobs and then, and then hold them to their goals. I mean, and, and that's always a hard thing to just sort of step away and let other people kind of do the stuff that you used to do a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at, you know, sort of the macro space, not just razors, blades, shower, et cetera, not just online, but you know, there's, we're sort of in a golden age, it seems in all these different spaces of like new companies that are hip and targeted directly at us. What do you think when you think about best practices, um, what are the things that you're looking for? What, what excites you? What do you think that, you know, like we all need to be paying attention to? Well, I think that what you need to pay attention to kind of changes all the time. The, the mark, you know, when we started the company in 2011, and even when we caught our viral wave in 2012, uh, the world was very different. Mm -hmm. The world, the, the world of, of um, you know, young companies and, and creative and, and media and advertising and new channels, it really, the rules and the, and the, the rules of those platforms and the platforms themselves seem to change faster than they did. And that, that speed seems to only be increasing. So you kind of have to have your eye everywhere so that you know how to leverage what's working for others. But I always believe in the principle of when they zig, you should zag. And, you know, that the pendulum, the pendulum does swing uh, from, one, from one end to the other across the board, no matter what you're talking about, whether you're talking about styles of advertising communications or platforms to distribute on, you know, you got to kind of watch the tide and, and, you know, when, when, when the tide goes out, you know, when it ebbs, you flow, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, that's, that's kind of the, that, that's the way I try to think about it. It's like, don't do what everybody else is doing. If you do what everybody else is doing, then you're just going to end up like everybody else. But yeah, you look at, you open up Instagram right now and every hour there's a new product that like mm -hmm. seemingly you've never heard of before, but it looks like it's been there for 20 years, yeah. whether that's clothing or, um, you know, a, 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 a massage gun. Like yeah. it's just like, it's all the I time. I love my massage gun. Totally. You know right. me so well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, I, I don't know if this podcast is rated PG or not, but if I, I, I will spare you the joke that my dad made when he saw my massage gun that I have. I can infer the um, joke that he would make. Yeah, it was, I didn't know that you had a it was, massage It's pretty gun. funny. I thought you were going to say, I didn't know that you had a dad. Yeah. No, I, I, I have a dad and a mom. And a massage gun. And a massage gun. That's great. But your point was not just, a, it's, it's just in general, like it, these things are like appearing every day. Yeah. Lightning yeah. speed. Like, yeah. and, and you know, it's like one day it's like, oh my God, yeah, I need the massage gun. Oh yeah. I need a plant. Mm -hmm. I definitely need that plant, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and so there you are. It's, it's like, how do you keep up with all that noise? I mean, there's only so much impulse buying that you can do. So how do you, how do you zag from that? And, and I don't have the answer. I mean, I think everybody has to kind of figure that out for themselves. For you now, when you're growing the business, where are you investing time and resources? Is it performance marketing and like that kind of stuff? Is it into creative? Is it into new products? Is it? Spent a lot of time thinking about new products. Okay. Um, a lot of time thinking about how to evolve the member experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly about our, our content ecosystem. What does that mean? Like the magazine and? With the magazine. Yeah. Um, yeah we, have, we have the magazine that goes out to our members. It's Tell like, them about the magazine. Uh, well, we have, we have um, everybody should check out melmagazine.com. It's our men's lifestyle editorial um, offering. Uh, it's really been well received. We started in 2014 and the content from that kind of gets disseminated far and wide. Um, uh, 
you know, some of it appears on what we call Dollar Shave Club original content, which mm -hmm. is a, a platform that has other content on it on the website. Um, but we're really proud of Mel and yeah. um, the voice that it that it's found. So you're targeting not just like the ads that you're putting out that we're all seeing for Father's Day, but you're talking also about the, the communication that you're you have ongoing with your members, correct? That's right. Yep. And is and do you? I mean, I imagine that there's a weight to that in terms of where you dedicate time and resources in the company to your existing membership and new members. Yeah. Is that something that you're super conscious of? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, we have an, we have a very loyal member base of millions of people um, yeah. that have been with us for years yeah. and, you know, delivering them, uh, freshness is really important to us, but at the same time, bringing new people in is, is important as well. Totally. Well, I mean, the holy grail of investments and businesses are like everybody wants to build a membership business because it's recurring revenue and it's like yeah. you know, the lifetime customer value. Once you acquire somebody, keeping them is typically more valuable than like if you lose them on a, if, if your attention's super low, it's really hard to run a business. I, I know that you have some thoughts about some of the misnomers about the space. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, people get kind of addicted to this notion of a subscription business and you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do a subscription business unless you believe that the subscription is an enhancement of the customer experience. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes it's not, it worked really well for razors for us in the beginning, but it's, it's harder for other products. And, um, you know, a lot of people get really excited about that idea of recurring revenue and how big the business could be, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, uh, the sword cuts both ways. Totally. How, do you feel about DSC.com still being Tyco security uh, products? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's a bummer. <laughs> I didn't expect a deep or a long answer, but yeah. I knew you must think about it from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be a nice domain to have, but it's not, it's not mission critical. No, I don't think so at all. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with the culture that you've built here. It seems like everybody is incredibly motivated to be here. It like you, you know, it's an incredible office. Well, we knew you were coming, so we shocked everybody. With what? With with the cattle prod. No, we just kind of shocked them, and you know, yeah, make sure they're smiling and happy. And it's like a B12 shot, but the DSC version. <laughs> a what? B12 shots? Oh yeah, like a vitamin B12 shot. Right? Do you do yeah. that? I did back in the day, like more for fun. I never was like, you know, I got one and I was like, man, I'm so energized now. Right. But it was like the thing to do. Cause it was the thing to do. And then you had to go to B12 rehab. Yeah. That's it's basically it's a special group. The yeah, B12, athletes, B12 rehab, weird entrepreneurs. They're trying to find the edge. Right. Yeah. You know, God, that finding that edge, it's elusive. How do you find that edge? Uh, what are I, your practices? Well, I meditate twice a day. No way. Um, yeah, Amazing. I've done that for many years. It's been a real godsend. TM um, or? Uh, Vedic, which Vedic. I believe is a part of TM. I'm not a real student of the, the lingo, but. Yeah, um, but a practicer. Yep, big time, twice what? a day. The afternoon one sometimes just turns into a nap, um, but that's okay. That's that you're given permission to do that in, in Vedic meditation. It's just, uh, you know, do what your body needs. Give your body what it wants. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, that's, that's a big one. Um, how do you find the edge? I don't know. I don't know that I'm super thoughtful about finding the edge, but, um, maybe I'll take a look at those B12 shots and install an oxygen bar in my, I, I, I keep so my office really cold too. Do you for real? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And my, and my house. Yeah. I, uh, I am very conscious about finding that edge and my girl scout cookies. 
I put my Girl Scout cookies in the freezer. <laughs> what else do you keep cold? I've got some frozen mangoes yeah. uh, in there right now. But no, right. it, I think Girl Scout cookies, that's the real innovation is keeping them in the freezer. Interesting. Have you tried that? Do uh, you do Girl Scout cookies? Dude, I'm like, what I was just going to say. Are I'm you charitable like, at all? Do you give any money away? Are I you just like, yes. this is all about you and your podcast? No, this, this is all about me and my podcast. But in life, I'm very charitable. Yeah. I, I like to think. How do you give you can back? always be more. You can always give more. How many Girl Scout cookies do you buy? I, I don't buy a lot of Girl Scout cookies. My your, wife is celiac. What's your deal? Oh. Yeah. So Should we tell the story of how I met your wife? Sure. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that now. No. Well, the, I can mean, now that you brought it up, I'll just say that you, you and her were both wingman and wingwoman to two friends of yours who had like an insta-date to a wedding of all things. And uh, Michael met my wife, Julia, and was a consummate gentleman. And she adores him. Thank and goodness. We, yeah. Thank, thank yeah, goodness. We ran back into you uh, later in life, a couple years later. Yeah. I, I saw her at yeah. a conference and she was like, you know, do you remember me? Yeah. And I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she yeah. reminded me. Um, so yes, I'm glad that I was the, per the perfect gentleman. You, um, were, you, were, you were amazing, apparently. Very um, funny, she said, too. I'm oh, shocked to hear that. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you don't buy Girl yeah. Scout cookies. That's not your deal. Well, and I just kind of use that as an out. Like, you had me pinned in a corner, and so right. I used my celiac wife to get out of the charitable conversation. Sure. Um, no, I don't give to the Girl Scouts, and I'm, mm. I'm shamed. Uh, I'm ashamed. That's all but, right. you know, in terms of keeping an edge, if there was a charitable organization that would sell me a nootropic of some kind or something that I felt would help me get in the zone, I'm fairly certain I'd sign up immediately. Right. Yeah. So if it's like blades for charity that have like, maybe they're caffeinated blades, you know? So while <laughs> I shave, I get like a, I get a boost. Coffee infused razors. I told you I had more ideas. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. And I like that. Thank you. you. Jumpstart your morning. Yeah. You can use that line too. What else? Uh, Jumpstart your morning with coffee infused blades. <laughs> uh, I don't know, dude. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm, I, I think that, you know, we learn a lot through osmosis. At least I do. Like just being around people and hearing their way of being is as important as the things that they're saying, maybe, yeah. maybe even more. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate like your, you know, pretty ego free dude. You're a funny guy, but like you have managed to build a incredible business and Thank create- you. An amazing product that a lot of people really love you know i know plenty of people with huge egos too and it's certainly not you i mean like is that something that you are conscious of and with the people that you hire and surround yourself with and and ultimately like what's the motivator then because you're still here you don't necessarily have to be and clearly you're excited about it well i think that for me i'm i've always been sort of motivated by learning mm -hmm. um and right now i still get to learn every day from really smart people that I work amongst. Yeah. It's part of the reason why you wanted to sell the company in the first place, right? Um, yeah. Partner with yes, exactly. There's, there's, there's a ton to learn yeah. um, from Unilever, from the folks around here. Uh, so it's a really exciting journey still in that, in that regard, a challenging one too, which is great. Um, and then, you know, I, I think, you know, on, on, on humility, I, I think it's an important qualification for anybody, but you don't, it, it has to be genuine. You know, you can kind of smell when somebody's kind of falsely modest mm -hmm. um, or falsely humble. I think, for me, that's born from this notion that I think you're always a hair's breadth away from catastrophic annihilation and that you really have to, you know, like you've never made it, mm. so to speak. I think the, I think great, great leaders and CEOs greater than myself uh, would tell you that you, you can't get complacent, that you are always at risk of being disrupted yourself. And, and you have to, and it's not easy, but you have to, you have to 
you have to find ways to stay ahead of the curve. And um, I think that it's, it's ultimately, um, yeah, I, I think you're always a hair's breadth away from, from annihilation. And, mm-hmm. and so if you adopt that batting stance, I mean, it, you know, certainly make you uh, a little bit more alert and it's maybe a little harder to relax, but I think you kind of have to wire yourself that way uh, if you want to win. Um, and so it, that, and that will, that will humble you because there's always stuff out there that people are doing better than you or faster than you. And, um, you have to, you know, like, I think you can always kind of, you should always take a minute to pat yourself on the back for a job well done in certain areas. But if you do that too often, then you're, then you're doing that too often. Mm -hmm. And do you personally, are you investing in other companies? Are you a little bit here and there, but your, your, your main focus far and away is DSC all day. Yeah. Ride or die. Yep. Amazing. Uh, any questions for me? Uh, hmm, let me see. I'm just kidding. Uh, I kind of like your, I kind of like your, your boots the there. Where'd you get those? These are, these are, uh, they're called, they're called Visvum. They're Japanese. Oh, yeah. Okay. This podcast like a, brought to you by Visvum. I wish. It's cool. Yeah. Thank you. What do you think? Did you have any unfair advantages when you look back on like your upbringing or on like your experiences when you're like, man, that like, this is what, what are the things that you think really set us up for great success? I think, I think I definitely, uh, definitely benefited from, from having some advantages, um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'm, I think about it, like I have, you know, two parents that like love and supported me. I mean, we didn't grow up, we like, didn't grow you know, up like, like super a, wealthy or anything yeah. like that. But you know, I didn't, I certainly didn't want for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very lucky in that way. And yeah. I did have two parents that loved me and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a, I had a stable family and they were very invested in my sort of success from a young age, not my business success, but my personal success from a young age. And mm-hmm. so um, yeah, I mean, I, without, without that type of an environment, who knows what, who knows what would, would have happened. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's luck of the draw. I feel like being an entrepreneur kind of is a privilege. There's two ways. It's like, you have no other way out and you get creative and you become an entrepreneur or you are in a position where you feel so secure where you're like, shit, I could fail at this and I'm going to be okay. Were you always entrepreneurial? Like when you were in high school, you were starting stuff yeah. or really? Yeah. What was your first, first hustle? Uh, well, uh, I don't, well, my first, first hustle was way before high school. I used to take my grandmother's books and like candelabra and sell it on the street. I mean, literally made like a sale stand outside my grandmother's house, just taking her stuff and selling it. That's a great margin. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And we it was call- like a Marie Kondo kind of decluttering for grandma. Big time. I mean, she didn't, she didn't know. Yeah. And she had a bad back anyway, so she couldn't chase me down the street. So ultimately it was like, you know, this looks like it'll sell. Mm -hmm. And then what did you start in high school? What were you doing then? Uh, I didn't really do much in high school. We did raise money for our baseball team uh, by selling pizzas. There was a pizza company. I think they're still around called Joe Corby Pizza. The pizza Mm -hmm. was delicious. Mm -hmm. They were selling frozen pizza to raise money to buy like a spring training trip for, for us. Got it. Well, that's not because you were like, yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur. That's not exactly like always been an entrepreneur. That's a pizza. Well, it's entrepreneur. Well, being an entrepreneur, what does that mean? I think it means being, you know, I'm sure there's a definition that that I won't be able to recite right now, but what being entrepreneurial yeah. is is uh, is a quality. It's I think seeing opportunity, seeing opportunity to to marry goods with markets or services, goods and services with markets, and um, having an eye for that, and then the initiative to go and 
execute against that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's being entrepreneur. That's how I would define it, at least for now. So yeah, I was doing that a little bit here and there. And why do you think here we are like 10 years later after roughly after we started our businesses, there are a lot of people in both of our markets who aren't here anymore. Um, what do you think are the things that separate entrepreneurs that, that, that run the course versus those that, you know, get it done for three or four years? I, I think that ultimately you have to keep your eye on, I think a, a, a one of the most important singularly defining qualities that great CEOs and entrepreneurs have um, that at least the ones that I've met are the ones that can distinguish between what's important and what's not important. And then within the what's important, what's critically important and what's just important, important. Um, you know, you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of people, not just entrepreneurs that will start their day in their inbox, uh, their email inbox. Mm-hmm. And they they think of their email as a to-do list. It's mm-hmm. Like the more emails I get through, the more productive I was. And that's couldn't be further from the truth. Um, ultimately, you need to frame your day and your week, your month, your year, your quarter, whatever, with like what is the most important stuff that needs to get done, uh, and and how do I dedicate the most amount of time to that? And not everybody is going to everybody in your organization or in your world is going to agree with those choices that you make. Um, and ultimately, you will sort of live or die by those choices of how you choose to spend your time. You might spend most of your time for a full month hiring a really key role, and that means that there are certain there are certain um, glasses that are going to break uh, elsewhere in the business, and mm-hmm. you have to be able to say, you know what, that's that's okay. That, mm-hmm. I got to let that happen because at the end of the day, I got to make sure this really important glass doesn't break, and then these other glasses can break and people will come up to you with their hair on fire and say, we have to deal with this thing. Or we, you know, we have to, you know, we have to get this done. Or we have this huge crisis and you have to have the fortitude or whatever to, to say, you know what, that does sound really important to you. That does sound really important to us, but like, I can't stop what I'm doing here because if I stop what I'm doing here, uh, if I stop what I'm doing here, uh, you know, like, then we all might be out of business. And then that thing that you think is really important actually isn't going to really matter at all because mm-hmm. none of us are going to be here sort of thing. That's a dramatic, that's a dramatic example, but the point's the same. But it's such like, a hard skill to grow. It's, well, you just, you kind of learn, right? Yeah. You kind of have to revisit it retrospectively and be like, what's the thing that I'm, you know, what's the, you know, what the, what's the thing that I missed last week that I, that, or where did I get distracted? Where did I get pulled away? And, you know, listen, email is a part of life. Slack is now a part of life. But, you know, we're bombarded with people's, you know, electronic brain trash half the time, mm-hmm. right? And I'm a big believer in just come talk to me if you have an issue. If you think about how long it takes to write a good email, it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes to write a good, strong, well-organized email. I think, you know, there's that overused, I think it was Mark Twain saying, saying I apologize for the long letter, I didn't have time to write a short one. Mm-hmm. I think that was Mark Twain. I don't yeah. know. Um, but it's really true. To to create a good written document, whether it's electronic or not, takes time and thought. And most people don't put that kind of time into. So if you're really needing to communicate with somebody on an issue that's taking you 30 minutes, probably just get up and like talk to the person, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's really an, a long email. Um, I, because, you know, 
how many 30 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute chunks of the day do you have? Right. Yeah. It's like in a, in an eight hour work day, like it's okay. So you're going to write 16 emails or whatever that is, you know, 20 emails a day. Like, so I find more often than not, it's like, just come find me and come talk to me. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't tested this principle, but I kind of believe I'd like to, I'd like to think that if it's not, you know, email doesn't really help us scale our effectiveness. I don't necessarily think, I think that it's, it, we probably think it does, because it's easy to push send and, but half the time people are pushing send and they're just like dumping their brain trash on you. And then it's like, okay, so you go deal with my brain trash now and try to organize these thoughts that I didn't take the time to organize myself. So now I've spent, you know, five minutes writing an email that was, that that was terrible. And now somebody else on the receiving end has to read it for 10 minutes and be like, what is he talking about? And now we've wasted a collective 15 minutes of org time because of your brain trash yes, or my brain trash. Or Whereas whatever. we could have a 20 second conversation and get to the same solution. Most likely. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Also it's like, don't be afraid of human interaction. Like that's how you build relationships with the people you work with. So, yeah. you know, I, I, you know, people, I think know that, you know, if they want to email me, I'll, I'll certainly read it, but like, you know, I might not always get back to you. Mm-hmm. because I just might, it might be a conversation. So I might be like, oh, hey, I saw your email. Let's talk for a minute. But yeah, I think, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but ultimately it's, you know, don't start your day in your inbox. Don't let, don't let other people's brain trash govern your, govern your, you know, priority system. Yeah. And differentiate between the critical and the non-critical. Uh, it's like, you know, time-sensitive critical, not time-sensitive critical, not important and time sensitive and not important and and not time sensitive. But, you know, I've loved that whole sort of four quadrant thinking on this where it's like, do the critical things first, the ones that are time sensitive, then the ones that aren't. And then the shit that you don't need to do, just don't do. I think you just have to get really comfortable with letting things fall through the cracks that Mm -hmm. I have to. So hard else catching. Yeah. Or if it's like, if it's not critical to the business and it's, you know, something that is, if it's 80% of the way there, but you're focusing on the things that have to be perfect. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's great insight. And I love that that's the way that you've been thinking about this. You're incredible. You're incredible. You really are. I'm, 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 I'm inspired and I appreciate our friendship. And I think that more people need to hear about how you think about this and how you've built this business because. Well, likewise. Great model. Likewise. You guys have built something pretty special over there at Summit. Thank and, you. And um, you have touched a lot of lives and inspired a lot of people and, and created a, a, a rich ecosystem of learning and fulfillment. And you guys really, you guys really know your thing. And there aren't a lot of brands out there that know their thing. And um, yeah, you guys, it's it's been fun to watch your journey and to be a part of your ecosystem in a, in a small way. So, you know, the feeling the feeling's mutual. Well, thank you. Here's the future. Dollar Shave Club, Michael Dubin, thank you again. It's been the art of the hustle. See you next time. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, that was fantastic. Really appreciative of Michael joining us. Uh, one of the things I certainly learned is that I am not a great creative marketer for Dollar Shape, but none of my ideas I think are going to make it to market. So, you know, they'll stay here. It's too bad. But, you know, if anybody wants to fund my uh, Razor Saber or 
you know, hydroelectric shower caddy program, by all means, reach out. But no, from Michael, you know, I think he's one of our generation's really great entrepreneurs and he's an even better guy. And, uh, you know, I, I loved some of the, the feedback we got from this. You know, one, the initial thing that blew my mind with him, why I had him on the podcast today in the first place was, I, I love that he focuses so heavily on his emotional connection with his consumer and that, you know, they use the vehicle of humor, but it could be, you know, uh, love or excitement or, or, uh, fear or anger but whatever it is it has to be a human emotional connection it's not about you know the intellectual product market fit it's that you know he really is speaking to you directly you know I also loved that he broke it down for us the things that you know it takes to make it the distance you know it's a very different type of entrepreneur that makes it to 10 years versus one to three you can think about it the same way in professional sports like being on the field for 20 years very different than being on the field for two so you know in his opinion it was uh, differentiating the important versus the not important and not using your email inbox as your, you know, your to-do list. Uh, I, I think that this is something that all leaders, all entrepreneurs, all startups struggle with is, you know, seeing the forest through the trees and only focusing on the things that are, you know, mortal issues. I also love that he empowers that through personal connection and not being afraid of personal connection. You know, focusing on, you know, going and talking to people directly and instead of sending a big, you know, long drawn out email. And if it's not a big, long drawn out email, what you're probably doing is sending unorganized thoughts, which are creating even more issues for other people. Um, so, you know, I love that. I think, you know, the saying is a in-person meeting is always better than a video chat, is always better than a phone call, is always better than an email. A text message is always better than an email. You know, for God's sakes, you know, like just, to, you know, don't write me a letter, like come and see me. He put it great where he said, you know, you always got to be aware of the possibility of your own annihilation. And I resonate with that. It's a healthy skepticism of your own success and the reality that there is always something coming around the corner that you probably don't know about. Um, so you have to always stay ahead of the curve because if you get complacent, the wave's going to eat you eventually. You can't stand still and stay on top. So, you know, for him, he does that by not being afraid of new ways of looking at things, new ideas. And it sounds like he's empowered an organization of people that, you know, have the reins in their respective areas. And they, they come in and they check with him and he seems like, you know, He's still managing the process, but he's empowering brilliant people to do things that he wasn't capable of doing himself, which is something that we all need to do more of, myself included. And I just want to thank anybody that, you know, made it to the end of this podcast because, you know, I appreciate that you could be listening to and doing anything with your time. And here you are listening to me drone on. So uh, this is the Art of the Hustle. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. And until next time. Thanks, everybody. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.